Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, but only the raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now. And if not... And this kills me. These are the high priests sending their servants to do this. I will take it by force. So I'm going to take your McDonald's bag, your Chick-fil-A bag, by force if you don't give it to me. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Who was supposed to get the fat? The Lord. The Lord. They took the offering that belonged to the Lord. That's pretty bad. And they did it in a very obvious way. So everybody knew they were brazen. They did more than that, but they were brazen. They just took the offering of the Lord. So, you know, it would, it would, I mean, today it would be something like, you know, Mary comes to give her tithe and I take it from her or Laura takes it from her. Or Pat, better Pastor Mike, since he's the elder, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so there we have this situation like, what are you doing? What are these men doing? And who do they think they are? And how long do people think they can get away with treating the Lord like that? I don't think long. And I think we do it in our culture all the time. And then we're so shocked when God finally has enough, you know. So, okay. So Hannah... Um, They were greedy men who ignored God's protocol, taking the best for themselves instead of giving the best for the Lord. You know, if you want to know what a leader should look like in the kingdom of God, you can read 1 Peter 5. You can read 1 Timothy um, 1. I mean, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. um, But, you know, God has a lot of protocols for his leaders, but the most important one is that they love him and that they obey him. And you know, if the leaders don't obey the Lord and honor the Lord, what hope is there for the people? Because for good or bad, people look up to their leaders. So 1 Samuel 2, now verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. These guys were worthless. That's, that's what God calls them in his word. They were worthless. So they're taking advantage of these young women. Now he said to them, why do you do such things? The evil that things that I hear from all these people know my sons for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now, um, Eli was grieved in his heart. He was so disappointed in the behavior of his children. But you're going to see that God still judges Eli. And the reason why is 
he did not restrain their evil. He told them it upset him, but he did not stop it. So as parents, there reaches a point sometimes as a parent when you cannot restrain your children's evil anymore, but you should never treat it as if it's okay. And you should make it very clear that it dishonors the Lord. So because Eli was judged, not because it, it didn't grieve his heart. He was judged because he didn't stop it. Now, how could he have stopped it, guys? You know right away what he could have done. Right. He could have fired them. He was their boss. You're gone. Hope you can find some sheep. Enjoy them. Far away from the ladies, please. You know, that's what Eli should have done. He had the power to do that, and he did not. You know, and if something in your heart cries out, oh, no, that's my children. Oh, how would we dishonor God for the sake of our children? Never, never, never. Never. So um, Eli was angry that his son were, they were pretending to be married to women in the tabernacle. This is not, you know, out in a hotel. It's in the tabernacle. They're doing this. Um, they refused to listen to their father. But please remember that Eli did not have them step down from leadership. He did not do that. Moving on to verse 27. Then a man of God, usually means a prophet, came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not intend to reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, talking about the house of Aaron, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And uh, did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? In other words, didn't I give you the fire offerings? You just had to wait for the fat to be burned off for me? And if you've ever smelled fat burning, it smells really, really good, <laughs> you know? And so it, that was for the Lord. Um, why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourself fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? That's pretty intense. Therefore, the Lord uh, God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the same day. Both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. Everything who is, 
everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. <coughs> so basically the prophet says to Eli, I, I will judge you because you honored your sons above me. I will judge you. And you basically, he's telling him, you're going to see your children die on the same day. And he does fulfill that a few chapters later. And we're not going to get into that tonight. But So I, I just want you to know that there's this problem. There's this problem in the nation of Israel. Eli rebuked his sons, but he allowed them to continue to sin. God cut off the priestly line, and he killed Hophni and Phinehas. He punished them, and he punished Eli by killing them on the same day while Eli was still alive. No priest was there in Israel after Eli died to stand before God with honor, integrity, and love for the Lord. And even Eli, when it came, push came to shove, he chose his sons over the honor of the Lord. So that's a problem. It's a problem with the covenant that they have with God because they need to be offering these sacrifices to God and they need to be doing it the right way. So at this point in time, we're going to go back to Hannah's story. Hannah can only see her dilemma, but the Lord saw the bigger problem. In our, in our small problems, God wants to fix bigger ones. It's not all about us. And I think Hannah somehow got that idea. So how many of you have that challenge? Again, I was saying, like, there's something in your life you feel like it's a challenge, or how many? I don't know. It's all messed up. Shine, fix me. How, so if you have that challenge, our tendency in our life is to think very small and to think in terms of only ourselves and our own problems and our own family. But yes. Oh, okay. And that is, yes, thank you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and that is the problem because we, that's not how God is. God always thinks bigger. He thinks about his rule and his reign and his kingdom. And so can you ever realize that when there is a little problem, which to us seems mighty, mighty big, but to someone as mighty as God, it isn't too big for him to handle like that. Can it be in our problems that God is wanting to fix greater problems? And I think when we realize that, it changes our perspective because suddenly it's no longer about us, but it's about the glory and honor of God. And it can really change everything. And it can give us even more faith because if it's not just about us, if it's about the kingdom of God, if it's about the glory of God, then certainly isn't God concerned about his glory? Now, Hannah would have no way to know that she is going to be part of the solution to this problem in Israel. She has no way to know that. She is just heartbroken because she doesn't have a child. 
So, um, verse 9 in 1 Samuel 1. Then Hannah rose. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Okay. I think I skipped a whole. Oh. Yeah, I feel like I skipped a whole. Oh, okay, I didn't. Okay. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So Hannah got up. Now remember I told you she wasn't eating and drinking because she was so sad? It wasn't because she was fasting. It was because she was so hurt by her rival making fun of her, making her feel bad. So what does she do? She gets up and she eats and drinks. So that tells me something rose up in her that said enough enough I am going to deal with this problem have you guys ever gotten to that place where you're like okay enough I've got to deal with this problem so she gets up now Eli is sitting in the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord she greatly distressed prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly she made a vow and said O Lord of hosts If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give you a maidservant, a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. Now, before we go on, she was vowing to the Lord that she would give this baby to the Lord as a Nazarite. Nazarites were not allowed to cut their hair. They could not drink alcohol and they had to strictly obey the Lord and they were set apart. So they weren't going to live a normal life. They were going to live a consecrated life. They might serve in the temple or have a prophetic ministry, but that, that would be, there would be no, she's in essence saying, if you will just give me a son, I will give him to you and he can be yours. So, you know, every year or so, when we have enough babies, we dedicate our babies to the Lord. And why do we do that? We do that because we're saying to God, you know, this baby is yours. And I do have an agenda, and I do have dreams, but I'm laying them down at the altar. And I want you to know that you can have this son, you can have this daughter, and they can do whatever you call them to do. And I surrender them to you, and I trust them to you, and I ask that you would anoint me to raise these children to love you. And that's what we do when we dedicate our children. You know, we ask for God to help us, we resolve, you know, These children are the Lord's. And if we really, really, truly believe that, then we will protect our children and we will resolve that they will be undefiled as much as it is in our power. There comes a point where we don't have that power anymore. But there is a long, long time where we do. 
And that involves, you know, the question, should my kid have a cell phone? Should my son or daughter be allowed to text? Should my children watch TV or movies at all? And if so, what should they watch? What kind of music should my children listen to? What kind of friends should they be with? And I have never met any parent who ever regretted saying no to friendships for their children. But I have held many parents crying <laughs> because they said yes to very bad friendships that caused a lot of damage to their children. And we live in a world where we are told to give our children a lot of freedom when they're very young to make their own choices. And yet the Bible says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So why on earth do we think they are going to make wise decisions? Laura and I went to a middle school um, evening once, and they were talking about how to homeschool middle schoolers. And they said, you know, by the time children are in middle school, they really don't need their parents except to provide food and you know, whatever they want, and you should just let them make their own decisions and decide what they want to study and decide how they want to live. And I looked at Laura and I said, <laughs> that would be the one time in my children's life that I would never <laughs> release them. <laughs> maybe when they're eight, <laughs> maybe when they're 15, <laughs> but not <laughs> when they're in middle school. <laughs> Oh, my word. And I was at my squirreliest in middle school, too. But I, we just tried so hard not to laugh because she must have very different children than we did. <laughs> but um, so, <laughs> so anyway, it was really funny. But the point, the point is that, you know, one of my favorite verses is in Daniel where it says, And Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And that says so much. That says so much. And that's what this Nazarite vow was. It was, I resolve to not defile myself in any way. They couldn't touch a dead body. I mean, there was a lot of rules involved in that. And so in a like way, we are like Nazarites, you know, in our call that we're set apart to be holy and we're set apart to not defile ourselves with the world. And by that, I don't mean a, a bunch of like legalistic rules because it's very easy for bad people to make rules and, and boundaries and appear good, right? I mean, there's good, bad people and bad, bad people, but we're all bad before Jesus, right? So, it's not that we want to box ourselves in by these rules, but we want to protect our children from influences, whether they're people, whether they're movies, whether it's a music culture. We want to protect our children from being pulled into patterns and habits and ideas that are lies from the devil. And Unfortunately, in the time, the day and age we live in, some of those things have Christian labels. Some children I could not let my children play with were Christian children. 
So Jimmy got kicked out of the nursery when he was two for biting everyone. He did bite Madeline and he did bite me, Rissa. And <laughs> so even my own children were ostracized from other people. <laughs> so, but the, the main thing I want you to see is Hannah is saying this. She's saying, I want a baby so bad that if you give me a baby, I will give him back to you to serve you. But I think something is moving in her heart because she got up and ate. She's giving, she's, she's not coming and saying, Lord, give me a baby or I'll die because what's going to happen? She's going to have a baby and she's going to nurse the baby and then she's going to bring that baby to the temple and then she doesn't have a baby anymore. So how will that really solve her problem? You know? So I think something is going on in her heart. It says, um, moving on to verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant your petition that you may have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So that prayer where she poured out her heart to God, she, something happened because she left and again she ate. Every time they came for the annual sacrifice, Hannah was tormented by her rival and would not eat. She poured out her anguish to the Lord and begged him for a child. Not only did she ask for the child, but she promised to give him to the Lord, to get, dedicate him to the service of the temple. She was asking for her need to be met, but she was also willing to meet the need of the nation of Israel because they needed a priest after God's own heart. If you ever wonder why was David such a man after God's own heart, you don't get that idea from his brothers. It's this little baby who was like a dad to David in a lot of ways. It's Samuel who spoke over his life. So there was another man, a man after God's own heart, that came before David. And here is... Hannah. Now, I don't even know if she realized what she was doing. I don't know if she was just caught up in emotion or if the Lord was just leading her to pray that way. But if we are yielded to the Lord when we have a need, we can be used by him to not only see our own needs met, we can be used by him to impact the entire world as long as we're willing and we want his will. 
that would not be my will. If I had not had a baby and it says that Penania had sons and daughters, so that means at least four, I mean, I would want a child. I would want a child to grow up with, you know, I wouldn't want to give that child away. So somehow Hannah is willing to be caught up in the drama. And I think there was a desperation in her heart where she just knew, I cannot live any longer unless I have a child. I need to have a child. I'm desperate to have a child. Sometimes we're desperate for things. We're very desperate for things. And we lay them on the altar, and we lay them on the altar, and we lay them on the altar again. And then finally we just realize, this is God's plan for me. This is his will for me. It's just not coming quickly, and it's just not coming easily. It might be a healing. It might be a child coming back to the Lord. It might be something silly like, I mean, it's not silly, but losing weight. It might be something serious like being healed of a disease. It might be a relationship healing. It might be overcoming sin. And there are things that you want God to do, and you know it's his will. But it has been so long that you are worn out. And people have maybe even tried to make you feel really bad about that. Maybe they've made fun of you. Maybe they have brought it up to you at your lowest moments and made you feel like a failure. Maybe they've rubbed what they have in your face. And your heart is full of hurt. And your heart is full of anguish. And we serve a God that longs for us to pour our hearts out to him. He's the God who stores our tears. This is the God that we serve. He doesn't ask us to pull ourselves together to come to him. He asks ourselves, he asks us to lay ourselves open so that he can come in. And not only so that he can move on our behalf to answer those prayers, but so he can do something inside of us. So he can do something through us. God is not done with us until we breathe a final breath. He is not done. And so if I just want to encourage you, if there is a if there is a burning thing in your heart today, please, please, please get alone with God and pour your heart out to him. Come to the altar during worship, go to a park and pray, you know, whatever you need to do so that you can pour your heart out to God. But get with God and pour your heart out to him. Not only does God listen to us, but he cares and understands. 
And it tells us in Hebrews that Jesus can sympathize with us in all of our weakness. He's been tempted in every way that we are, but was without sin. So I just want to encourage, I love that Hannah prayed. I love that she prayed so fervently that he thought she was drunk, you know. (laughs) I love that because she was pouring her heart out to God. So, um, okay. Um, When she was misunderstood by Eli, she wasn't defensive. She patiently explained, and then he amened her prayer. So when you have people who, you know, maybe you open up and you're vulnerable and you say, well, here's the desire of my heart. And they say, oh, my goodness, Gracie. Really? Wow, Rachel, with all the things going on on the earth, do you think that's really important? Or just make you feel, well, you can do that on your own. How come you haven't been able to do that by now? You know, and when you have people like that in your life, our tendency is to push them away and to shut down emotionally, right? Or to tell them off, (laughs) depending on your personality. Okay, so all the calorics over here, you're telling them off. (laughs) So everyone else is shutting down and moving on. So, um, but, (laughs) yeah, Oh, what happened? I forgot. <laughs> moving on, moving on. So Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> so, but what God wants us to do is patiently explain. You know, especially if it's someone that is in our midst that we're in a covenant relationship with. Um, And I I think, and this is really also talking about leadership, because Eli was the high priest. So Eli had an incredible role in being able to pray for her, intercede for her. You know, he would have gone into the high, holy of holies occasionally. I mean, once a year, but uh, every few years. He, you know, would have been chosen by Lot. So it was very important in how she responds to him. And it's very important to us in our life how we respond to authority. It really is. And you have two kinds of people. You have the kind of people that they don't want to make their own decisions. And they come to authority and they're like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what and you're like, no, you need to hear from God. You know, I'll confirm, I'll give you counsel, but, but then you have other people who are just, well, you don't understand me, and I'm just off doing my own thing. You know, women who, when, you know, their husbands say something, they, they just, you know, they're off doing their own thing. And so, or children, their parents, you know your parents don't want you to do a certain thing or to do a certain thing, and they're just off, you know, doing it anyway or trying to somehow twist your words so they can do it. You need to position yourself so that you're respectful to authority because you opened the way for the Lord to bless you. And I think Hannah shows us how to do that in a really gracious way. She doesn't say, oh, you're wrong. But she does say, oh, you're wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? So I think that's 
that's really important. Okay, so all of that's happened. Verse 19, then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Remember that, the Lord remembered her. Remember we talked about that um, with Sarah and the Lord remembered her? It came that about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all of his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, I will not go up there until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his words. <laughs> you know, are you sure you want to, I mean, this is his favorite wife. Are you sure you want to give our son away? You know, I really would like a confirmation here. You know, I'd like to know that this is really God, that, you know, you're not just giving our son away. But she's basically has this mindset I'm going to wean this child because when I go to the yearly sacrifice, I'm going to give my child away forever. And that had to be heart-wrenching for her to think about. That had to be really hard. Now, they did, w they did nurse children longer. They nursed children until they were three, four, five. Um, so I don't know how long she you know, nursed him, but God answered Hannah's prayer, and Hannah kept her vow to the Lord, and that is really incredible, and, you know, y we think, oh, of course she kept her vow to the Lord, because she's in the Bible, she's a superwoman, but no, she's just a very ordinary woman, and very ordinary women often make a vow to the Lord and don't keep their vow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, maybe it was too hard for her to go to the temple. I don't know. I know that Hannah told her husband, and her husband said, you can do whatever you think is best. And he trusts her to do the right thing. And I do admire that about him, because I'm sure that was really scary for him, you know? probably thought, oh no, she's going to go into a deep depression after she gives the baby, you know, who knows what he was thinking. Yeah, he could break it. He could break her vow, and he didn't, yeah. So I think, well, I think God was doing something, as you'll see. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one epath of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. So she didn't try to hold on to him longer. But now what's happening now? Who always prepared the sacrifices before? Elkanah. Right? He gathered everything and gave out the portions now she is gathering everything together so something is going on in Hannah's heart 
of a deeper intimacy with the Lord. And she could have just gone up with Elkanah and taken her portion and offered her portion to the Lord, but she doesn't. She prepares everything because now she is in a deeper place where she wants to come and worship and bring her offering. And that's very significant when you see that, that difference. Um, then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And then here's my favorite line in the whole passage. And he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel, who was very young, worshiped the Lord there. And I thought, wow. You know, he wasn't crying to leave his mom. He somehow knew she had put something in his heart that he came and he knew he was staying and he worshiped. And that says a lot about who Hannah was and how she grew in the Lord and how she allowed this very, very hard thing in her life to cause her to press into God instead of harden her heart against him. Um, so in the past, her husband had supplied the sacrifice, giving her a portion, but now she took everything from home. She made sure that her sacrifice was in order. And I don't know how old little Samuel was, four, five, three. He worships the Lord because his mother has imparted faith and life in him. And he will spend the rest of his life worshiping the Lord and really having a passion for the honor of God. Just a passion for the honor of God. It, when you read about Samuel, I mean, it is all about God. She has, she's prepared him to leave her and to walk in a radically different calling than most children are called to. And sometimes we have children that have challenges. They might have physical challenges with diseases or they're blind or they're handicapped or, you know, they might have emotionally challenges, emotional challenges. Like sometimes we're called to maybe raise a child that's very, very strong-willed, <laughs> harder than all the other things. And we wonder, like, you know, what is, what is my child called to and how do I how do I nurture this child to be what he or she has been called by God to be? We will never be perfect. You know, I don't know. If I said to, okay, moms, when you started out as a mother, did you hope and pray and do everything in your power to be the world's most perfect mom? Every one of you would raise your hands. You all bought red books. You made plans. You... You know, and then what happened? One day, you lost your temper and you yelled at your kids. And you know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, 
you thought to yourself, why did I ever have children? <laughs> this is too hard. And you all had days like that. And so you will never in your life be absolutely perfect. But imparting faith and imparting life to the next generation doesn't even require you to be a mom. How many single men and single women? Paul, the great marriage counselor of the whole world, single man. That is never a barrier to imparting faith and life to our spiritual children. So don't ever let the devil lie to you about that. So what I find very interesting is that um, Hannah now is back in the same position she was before, right? Right? No kids. So what does Hannah do? Is she going to allow her rival to provoke her, which I'm sure she was? Well, now you gave your child away. You don't have any children. But I have, like, blah, blah, blah. Does, does, is she going to, like, be upset and, and not eat? What Hannah does is, Madeline, she writes a song. She writes a song. And she sings a song to the Lord. And her heart is completely changed. There is no torment now from her rival. There is a steadfast faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, well, I'm sure she understood the prophecies about Jesus, but in the Lord. So I'm going to read her song. Um, then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who, full hire those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to shoal and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Again, Eli's sons, Phineas and Hophni. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his, his anointed. Hannah doesn't see her little problem anymore she does have a little problem again but she sees the big picture and she's looking at the Lord in awe and she's amazed at who he is and what he can do it says then Elkanah went to his home in Ramah but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest and I always think how redemptive God is God is going to kill 
Eli's sons. But he gives them Samuel to raise. And that is very kind. Because Samuel is a very good boy. And right away he hears from the Lord, but we're not going to go into that. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And then it doesn't say the Lord remembered Hannah. What does it say? The Lord visited Hannah. And she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up before the Lord. So... It goes from the Lord remembering from afar, and now it says the Lord visited, and there's this intimacy. What does your version say? Um, 21. First Samuel 1. Two. Sorry, First Samuel 2. You skipped that part that she had already read about Eli's sons. Right, I skipped that part. Sorry. It must have been painful to see her son year after year and know she couldn't tuck him in and hold him at night. But every year she made him a robe and she gave it to him. And God visited her. God was intimate with her. And so she went from being a woman with a problem to a woman who was visited by the Lord. And he did bless her. He did bless her with five more children, but I think even more he blessed her with his presence. And she had this intimacy now with Jesus because of what she went through. And she didn't take the easy way. I mean, it couldn't have been easy to go labor and sew and make something for your child and go visit him each year and You know, she could have said, oh, I'm not going. But she pressed into the Lord, and she took the high road the whole way. And so I just, I want you to remember her when you're thinking about your personal needs and problems. And remember that they, in God answering those prayers, the entire kingdom of God can be affected for a positive way and also that those things can cause you to come closer to the Lord or to pull farther away and I hope you'll choose to go closer